The 630 Chad Afternoon News with Jaylen Nye. Weekdays at 2 on 630 Chad. BC RCMP just confirmed autopsies were conducted and it confirmed the two bodies found in thick, dense brush last week are that of Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski. They call their deaths suicide by gunfire. Now, Brad and I will be updating you on this as it develops if a news conference comes up at any point in the show. But right now, we're going to take a bit of a detour and welcome Ari Goldkind to the show, a criminal defense lawyer and legal commentator, to talk about Epstein committing suicide allegedly in prison. Hi, Ari. How are you? Great to be on with you. Great to be on with you as well. Now, before before we get into into the the specifics of things, is suicide in American jails becoming a problem? Is this something that's happening more frequently? Well, you ask a very prescient question because if you actually look at the statistics, which few do, suicides over the last few years have been going down in U.S. prisons. However, there has been an uptick in the last year with the number of suicides in prison. And in a situation like we're about to talk about with Mr. Epstein, people whose eyes are rolling and completely befuddled as to how he could actually do this, I don't mean the mechanisms of how you do it, but to be able to do it undetected the other night, uh, those people's questions are very wise and right on the money. So, Ari, I mean, Jeffrey Epstein accused of sexual abuse, um, facing allegations of running a sex trafficking operation and sexually abusing dozens of girls, and also has a connection to U.S. President Donald Trump. But who the heck is this guy? I mean, he, he's, a, he's a popular name because he, he was found to be accused of these heinous crimes, these ugly crimes, but he seems to hold a low profile. He's not only held a low profile, he's sort of been under the radar, sort of like the term consigliere isn't right, but sort of friends with all these and people in high places, including a retail giant named Leslie Wexner. He was certainly friendly with the Clintons. They are, are disputing how many times, you know, they visited uh, his places. Remember, he's got a $56 million New York place. He owns a private island. He has a huge ranch uh, in the southwest of the states. But how his money was acquired really seems, Brad, to have come through his close connections to very, very powerful people. And for people who don't understand the timing of all this, literally he kills himself the day after. I'm being serious here. He kills himself the day after a treasure trove of documents were unsealed by a U.S. court connecting him to all sorts of powerful people accused of doing what essentially he's doing. So while I'm not a conspiracy theorist, Brad, there are some very troubling questions about how he was taken off suicide watch and then lo and behold, hours later, commit suicide. We can dig into that in a second, but I want to ask you, would be the, in your mind, would the proper definition of, of Jeffrey Epstein's job almost be like a fixer in a way? Well, that implies you and my having too much of a love for Quentin Tarantino movies. It was sort of more in the lines of he gives some financial advice. It's like one of these arcane, I won't even say Wall Street, but he's like charging a fee of assets that he had. It's really quite an arcane setup he had. And even those who were really quite close to him don't necessarily understand where all the money came from. But Brad, it's more money than uh, 99.8% of Canadians have combined. Oh, my goodness. What? It's an unbelievable amount of money. Just his house 
just so that people understand what we're talking about, because one of the things that is a very valid question is what happens now that he's dead? What about compensation or justice for the victims? His house in New York, just the house, is valued at $56 million, and I don't think too many people listening to us right now have a house that's either $5.6 million dollars well, in Toronto, you can get close to that, but you get what I'm saying. I don't want to ask this. It's I don't I, I don't want it to come across darker of a question than it actually is. But what kind of suicide prevention tactics are happening in a jail or a prison? Typically, is it like a watch that circles and, and checks in on you every hour or so? Well, it's actually not a dark question. And full disclosure, I like dark questions. So here's where this becomes interesting to the casual person who watches tv shows we know that people use bed sheets we know that people use uh, all sorts of accoutrements to off themselves when they feel the writing on the wall in the particular new york city prison he was in which held el chapo for a little bit if you know his ability to escape and be watched jeffrey epstein was on suicide watch and what that means is he's guarded 24 7 he's on video monitoring and every half an hour or so, at a minimum, he is to be checked in with. By the way, even if it looks like he's sleeping soundly, all of that was removed just prior to him doing it. And you even see William Barr. If people remember uh, the whole thing with the Mueller report and Trump and Barr, his close attorney general friend. Even Barr has said, this is appalling and wanted. Yeah, and gave that order or whatever was done, Brad, it escapes uh, it escapes any notion of what the heck is going on there. Right, exactly. And, you know, all those things are supposed to happen. Even if he's sleeping, they're supposed to be watching. Every half an hour, they're supposed to walk by and make sure he, he's there and he's with it. He can speak. He can respond. But then you hear from the Metropolitan Correctional Centre uh, in that area saying, you know, those workers are putting in more than 60 hours a week, leaving them, quote, overwhelmed and, quote, not alert. That's a big problem. Not only is it a big problem, but think through the logical idiocy of that sentence. First of all, they're not digging ditches the way so many people listening to you right now are out, you know, really in the field, doing construction, working in all sorts of uh, things where, you know, they're not just walking around monitoring screens. So with all due respect to that nonsense answer, but if that's an answer that people are on overtime in the U.S. system, one, it's a condemnation of hiring and staffing practices. But really, if that's the cop-out or the, quote, get-out-of-jail-free card for the New York Bureau of Prisons to say, well, they're on their fifth overtime shift of the week, so they can't check in on the most notorious, most famous person in the entire cell block at that time, that, to me, takes the word stupid to a new uh, extension. Yeah, and also something else that I find stupid is, I mean, it was less than three weeks after... Jeffrey Epstein was found semi-conscious inside his cell and he had bruising around his neck. So then they just, they, they stop watching him a couple weeks later thinking that everything is now okay with him? That's right. And you bring up the point where I was going to go to next. This wasn't some pie-in-the-sky suicidal notion. Now, by the way, Brad, whether he was beaten to a pulp and left in a fetal position three weeks ago by some inmate who had it in from him, he was also in a cell with a cop charged with murder. They haven't released what the truth is. But whether he's beaten up by another inmate or whether he's trying to commit suicide, I know a lot of people cheer the suicide. I know I can hear people saying, he, you know, he saved us all time and trouble and he met his maker. 
that's not the way prison is supposed to work. That is not how justice is done out. So given what you've just mentioned, which is what the reporting is, he tried to do it a few weeks ago. Imagine the idea that you take a guy like that off suicide watch and remember, literally hours after a treasure trove of documents are released with all the powerful people who are sharing in his illegal underage escapades, including governors, governors of states. That should tell tell people that that order, if it was ordered to be removed of suicide watch, something is so hinky behind it, and I'm trying to be gentle about it. No, oh, absolutely, and you mention all these other folks that are mentioned in these documents, and quite frankly, Ari, and I'm sure you'll agree with me, is this really, this incident doesn't hide anything, because if charges are laid against others, details will eventually come out. That's right. So for people asking that question, which has really been an important talking point today, the victims have essentially three, the alleged victims, but let's assume that, you know, he's already pled guilty 15 years ago. He's not some innocent choir boy. There's a civil forfeiture procedure, which means you can go after the very house I just mentioned, his island, his other holdings. So the victims and their lawyers may try and tap that. They can also sue his estate. But more interestingly, Brad, as you just referenced, there's a conspiracy count still floating. So his death, while it ends the criminal prosecution against him, the conspiracy count continues, and they will probably draw some pretty high-powerful, high-powered people into their crosshairs, particularly given the disappointment that Mr. Epstein isn't here to answer to the charges. So where does that leave the, the alleged victims? What, what sense of justice are they left with? Well, really, if you want to get into the truth about this, a lot of them were looking for money. Now, that's a debate for a different day about whether that's the appropriate compensation, whether that's the way the system should work. But there is, as I said, two avenues to money for them. One is civilly, civil forfeiture, which means they can go after his assets. Why? because he may have used those to facilitate his crimes, or two, you can sue his estate, but that's a much tougher road to hope. Now, Ari, I mean, when it comes to these allegations against New Mexico Governor Bill Richardson, former Maine Senator George Mitchell, Britain's Prince Andrew, yep. how long of a process are we looking at here since no charges have been yet to be laid? And I mean, now Jeffrey Epstein is dead, so they can't even talk to him directly. They could speak to uh, Ghislaine Maxwell, Jeffrey Epstein's former girlfriend, but how far does that get them? I mean, really, is, is there any hope of charging these other, other men? I would say very likely not a great chance of charging these other men that you just mentioned. They were in the treasure trove released the other day. Miss Maxwell could see herself facing charges as a conspirator. Somebody utilizing the services, I'm not so sure, will face criminal prosecution. But I certainly think anybody who was part and parcel of the plan and the transport, transport, remember, private planes involved, Brad, the transport of these uh, young women, particularly across state lines, those people, the Southern District of New York, which is really the Manhattan District Attorneys, those people may be losing some sleep tonight. Ari, is it realistic to keep someone on suicide watch for an undetermined amount of time? Like, how how, how do you... Clearly, he was, he was at risk, like you said, basically the moment he was taken off of it. So, so what's realistic with, with staffing issues like that? He could be kept on. Any inmate, whether you're famous or not, could be kept on suicide watch literally every minute you're in a prison detained if the belief is 
that if eyes are taken off you, you're going to end your life. There is no time limit on it. It is a different fish than segregation or solitary confinement. That would not expire uh, until there was reasonable belief that that order should be lifted. So when you hear uh, Attorney General William Barr say this is troubling, it raises serious questions, so on and so on and so on, at the end of the day, Ari, does it just come down to these facilities need to be better staffed to prevent these things from happening? I think, Brad, before we understand and even go to the staffing issue, which I feel is a real cop-out, I have to tell you, Brad, we need to know who took the order off and why he wasn't being watched that night. That overtime nonsense to me does not ring right. Typically, what is the, the, the reasoning to take them off suicide watch? Like, what, what, uh, must, what requirements must they meet? You would have psychiatrists literally having to weigh in, and the psychiatrists themselves, the psychiatrists themselves would have to say he's no longer a threat or there wasn't an initial suicide attempt the way we uh, originally thought. I'll leave you with this. It sounds simple, but it's obviously more complex as usual. What happens next? I think really it's for the plaintiff's lawyers to decide if they can convince prosecutors to continue the conspiracy, go after deep-pocketed people, and try and seize the assets and dole those assets as uh, criminal-related property used to facilitate. And at the end of the day, Brad, again, it's going to be a tough road, but the civil forfeiture provisions are really where I would focus if I was a plaintiff's lawyer. Always fascinating conversation with Ari Goldkind, a criminal defense lawyer and legal commentator. Thanks for taking the time to chat with us. Pleasure. Thank you. Jumping off a conversation with Ward 1 City Councillor Andrew Knack about what's going to happen to Rossdale, all of the new exciting things that, that hopefully are going to be happening in that area. It, it made us question, well, what are what are other areas missing? What What is your neighborhood lacking? What, what do you really wish you had? Perhaps it's more green space. Maybe it's a little bit more walkability. Maybe you want a delightful new restaurant to open up. 6.30, 6.30 is our text line. We'd love to hear from you. Walkability came to me while we were in our commercial break because I... Now, I live in the suburbs, Brad lives downtown, so essentially everything that I wish my neighborhood had, Brad has in spades. I, I don't know if there's if there's much lacking, but of course we, we always want what we can't have. Lots of people who live downtown wish there were more parks, and when you live in the suburbs, there's typically a playground or something like that along the way. I think generally Edmonton has a walkability issue. If I want to go for a walk around the neighborhood, I can go for a for a great walk, but I always like to feel like I'm walking to something. And in, in my case, I feel like I'm always just a little bit out of reach of the grocery store. I don't I don't want to go on an hour jaunt to pick up like two bags and I can't carry them home in my car because I don't have a car. I'm walking. It creates a whole big thing. So we, uh, oh, we just got a text. Markets. People want more farmer's markets. I'm presuming that's what a market means. Brad, do you ever go to the, to the farmer's market downtown on 104th? Yep takes me about 15 minutes. I went for the first time last weekend. It was glorious. Lots of pets down there too. So it's oh, enjoyable. Oh yeah, there yeah. are many dogs. Yes. Lots of dogs to pet. Uh, <laughs> we need more dogs in the neighborhood. Every every neighborhood needs a maximum of 100 dogs. Um no, when I was when I was walking around, I was thinking, man, if I lived here, I could get all of my food, all of my homeware, all of my I could get lunch and just walk back to my house, take it up to the apartment. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty accessible for me. It's it's close enough that I can walk there. I've uh, been there 
many times. Um, Old Strathcona is another neighborhood that's fortunate. Obviously, I mean, it's a, a famous location and uh, people that live, you know, around White Avenue within reasonable distance can walk there, get their, their items for the week. Uh, it's those type of areas. It's those areas that are, are so attractive to live in if that's what you're looking for, to have that accessibility. Now, on the other side of the coin is that the fact that some people don't want that accessibility. They enjoy living further out. They don't mind making the drive because their lifestyle is more quiet and reserved. And it, it connects to our conversation we had last week on rural versus urban uh, communities and, and just people's preferences. And you know what? Some people may not want the farmer's market nearby. They may prefer to pack the family in the car and take the 45-minute drive and, and spend some quality time at the market. So I think, uh, you know, certain people will want certain things. But as far as having that ideal neighborhood that everybody strives to have or, or wants it's it's very hard to come by to have everything you want and need right now i think the richie area is doing an absolutely fantastic job of building something that brings the community together but doesn't feel overbearing like if, if i wish i had a richie market i am so jealous that they have this little community with new shops constantly opening up and you can go get your meat, you can get your coffee, you can get a snack, you can get, I think there's a bike shop or there used to be a bike shop there. Like to, to me, that's where I would like to see more communities moving in that general direction. But I also know that maybe it's not realistic when there's, uh, you have to have the appetite, you have to have someone leading the charge. I don't, I don't know if that's, I don't know if that's something that we'll, we'll see a lot of in in communities that aren't Old Strathcona or downtown. Yeah, it's tough because we've had conversations with councillors before and of course many councillors would love to have outdoor markets and more playgrounds and there'd be a minimum requirement for something like an outdoor play area or off-leash dog area but the issue is that Edmonton continues to grow year after year. We see the numbers increase, our population increase and new neighborhoods are popping up all over the place and the priority obviously number one is to build homes for families to live there and I think the city council needs to start thinking of okay we're going to build this new neighborhood in area x but before we start building that area we need to already have a plan to build an off-leash dog park to build an outdoor play area and not build the neighborhood and then go oh crap there's not much space left we don't know where we could even fit this so if you live in this neighborhood you will have to take a 20 or 30 minute drive to go play outside or go walk your dog in an off-leash area i think that's something that that they need to start thinking about because like at the end of the day there is not a lot of space left in, no. in edmonton proper in our city there is not a lot of land left that's well i think about that too because i'm like it is it is very bizarre that within i mean i know that we're not Toronto I know that we're not uh, very forward uh, transit transit wise I mean it's it's Edmonton's not entirely accessible in a in an easy way but it's weird to me that where I live there's not really anything of convenience to me that I could feasibly walk to it's bizarre. like I could walk to a bus stop but it's weird that I if if I had just if I needed to pick up a few things from the store I could not no matter what store it was I could I could not 
go there to get them because it's just not within reach. I yeah. shouldn't have to take a 40-minute hike to get bananas. No, absolutely. And I mean, uh, like you said, uh, accessibility. And, and if you want to go for a walk, you just sort of feel like you're walking around in circles because it's just homes and there's nothing else appealing about the neighborhood. It's a, it's a comfortable neighborhood to live in. You're, you're friendly with your neighbors and it's a, it's a comfortable setting. You have, you know, a beautiful area to live in. But... Uh, you're just walking around the streets. There's no parks. There's no off-leash dog area to enjoy. It's just you and homes. Street hockey. This is what every neighborhood has lots of because they always have a street. Edmonton listener says, we live in Rutherford and there are no pubs or restaurants in our area. That's, again, I actually, I do have a Mexican restaurant by my house that is walkable. I just remembered. So that is the one thing that I have. I'm very proud of it. And an Edmonton listener, always looking on the bright side, says, hi, the new Bountiful Market on 97th Street on the south side is incredible. Better than White Ave. Okay, so maybe my ulterior motive is that I'm also, like, looking for new places to check out across the city.